It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. We had a pretty lengthy discussion uh, about uh, Ukraine and North Korea and Russia uh, with John Jordan. Uh, does a great deal of analysis for this show. In that discussion, we mentioned uh, briefly, and uh, now for further discussion, Russia's war effort in the Ukraine and North Korea's weapons supply pipeline to Russia, something you don't often think of as Russia is one of the, if not at times, the world's largest exporter of weaponry. Kelly Vleos, senior advisor at the Quincy Institute and editorial director of Responsible Statecraft, uh, joins me now. Kelly, welcome back. Uh, Let's dive right in. Uh, Is Russia running short? Uh, Is Russia unable to procure or manufacture within its borders? I think they're having difficulty procuring and manufacturing within its borders because of the sanctions uh, that the West has imposed on Russia since the beginning of the invasion back in February, March. Um, We're seeing reports, as you mentioned, of them turning to North Korea, North Korea, which we have you know, we don't have full detail about what they have in their reserves uh, because of the secretive nature of that country. Um, but what we can glean from reports and people have been following is that they have millions of uh, shells and rockets that they can supply to Russia if if they want to. Um, Russia so far has denied these reports, um, but, uh, you know, We are not surprised that they are turning to others in the so-called axis of resistance, whether it be North Korea or Iran, if they need to restock. Um, The thing is, Ukraine is turning to the rest of the world to restock, and we're actually depleting our own reserves here in the United States with all the um, weapons that we've been giving to Ukraine. Um, All this is telling is that both sides are digging in for the long slog. And as as long as Ukraine has the West, and particularly the United States, and Russia has the access of resistance, this could go on for years. And I think, personally, I find that more troublesome um, than who's giving what weapons to who at this point. Yeah, I mean, time can work for and against uh, any resolution. Uh, the transit, obviously, into Russia is easier if they for weapons coming in from anywhere, for that matter, North Korea or otherwise. But then the issue of logistics, getting it to the Ukraine. And Russia's had a fair amount of problems with resupply, not to mention, you know, while we talk about the weapons and the weaponry, the war fighters, of which many of their troops are conscripts, are not really war fighters for the long term. So so looking at it from a, a call it a statecraft point of view, a strategic perspective, uh, is Russia facing a little bit uh, more challenge than they thought or than that was portrayed as? Yeah, I'm sure. Yes. And in, in every analysis, uh, whether they're, um, you know, for or against on either side of of the spectrum here is as maintained over the last week that. Russia is, is, is facing resistance and has, from the beginning, miscalculated, uh, whether it be the resolve of Ukraine or the resolve of the West to help Ukraine. 
Uh, from what I understand, and these are I'm just gleaning from you know public source uh, podcasts and reports out there uh, that Russia hasn't fully mobilized uh, its military. And it is working through militias. It's working through the Wagner Group, uh, which is a mercenary group that is affiliated with the Russian government. Um, should Putin decide to fully mobilize and conscript and, and, and put more forces in Ukraine, you might see some you might th- see things turn dramatically. Um, he hasn't tapped that yet. So we don't know exactly how many U.S. Uh, sorry Russian forces are in Ukraine right now. Some estimates I've heard are like 80,000, but most of them are uh, militias, uh, Russian-backed troops, and uh, some of these mercenaries. So, um, and then on the other side, as you mentioned, you know, Ukraine has been basically um, bringing people out of shops and, and farms and putting them on the front lines. Um, and so that I don't know how far and how long um, they can persist uh, while they're draining. And from what I understand, they've lost a lot of men in the last week. They've gained some ground, as you know, but they've lost a lot of lives in the process. So this is just this is sad on all points. And I'll just go back to my uh, initial uh, feeling that if the longer this goes on, the, the more Ukraine is going to be destroyed and getting both sides to the table in some way and using the U.S. power and influence to do that, I think, is should be a priority and in ending this thing. Yeah, I, I'll not hold my breath for the soft power, U.S. power and uh effectiveness on this one you know i i'm a i look i favor diplomacy uh, as a part of this as a part of these you know strategies but we're not in that position i've got to be honest i don't see how that's carried out insurgent strategy and i'll bring it to you this way ukraine has been well trained in some ways and by U.S. contractors, uh, other elements, in fighting a urban-slash-insurgent strategy, even though it's being fought in farms and fields and valleys along riverbeds and more, but the strategy against Russia. Russian conscripts are not uh, living up to the training because they're basically a one- to two-year cycle out. In the long run, while losing people, and tragically that will be the case, could that give Ukraine a better position to, one, deplete Russia to get to the point where those mothers and families don't see sons and daughters coming home, mostly sons, and then also begin to drag Russia down while attacking by when it's opportunistic? Yeah, I mean, I, I would just disagree on one point. I feel like, like I said before, a lot of these fighters, particularly in the Donbass, are Russian-backed militia. So they are Ukrainians who are Russian-speaking, who have been battle-tested because they've been fighting with other Ukrainians since 2014. So we're not talking about Russians who have been sort of um, have been deployed there from Russia and are completely, um, you know, out of step um, and out of their element and are fighting like battle-tested, you know, guerrillas, uh, fighters. Um, a lot of these people, a lot of these fighters on the Russian side all have been there, and they have been fighting 
um, in, in the same milieu as their um, Ukrainian counterparts. So that all said, I, I just think that um, the longer this goes on, uh, if we, okay, if we view this as an insurgency, like we did in Afghanistan in the late 70s, and we say, okay, we're going to start pouring all of our U.S resources into these guerrilla fighters in Ukraine, and they'll just keep picking off Russians and picking off, um, you know, their strategic assets. And, you know, in the long run, we will, we will get them, we will push Russia out, just like push Russia out of Afghanistan. Okay, are we ready for that? Are we ready for this to be um, a years-long effort? Are we ready to see Ukraine destroyed? Villages, towns, cities. Are we ready to deplete U.S. resources at a time that we are mired in an inflation and all of the the political discord that we are dealing with in this country? I, I mean, is it worth it? Is this a U.S. national interest to to open up another front, a proxy war? essentially, with Russia now after 20 years of depleted resources in the Middle East. I don't know. I, 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 it's a, it's, I know where I stand on it, and I'm sure many in your audience do, where they stand on it. And I just don't think the American people are quite ready for that kind of scenario. Yeah, look, I, I'm with you. We don't want to see, and I don't think we have a prevailing national interest in the sense of American boots on the ground. It doesn't mean in the real world, because that's where I have to deal, as do you, that you know there can't be train and equip, uh, there can't be, uh, shall we say, advisors in, in the true sense to help them fight. I also see a longer-term strategy than what would even be a 10-plus year or whatever term of what we're discussing in that a weakened and more easily disrupted Russia, whether someone comes in after Putin or Putin stays, is for the world a better situation and call it the combination of the Machiavellian uh, Gemini and Sun Tzu approach for me is you look to the long term of where your enemy has the capability to have a resurgence and Russia is an enemy to many. So proxy... Yes. The war not fought. Yes. Depleting your enemy until they can be either disrupted more or taken over by other elements could be as bad as Putin. Have to keep that in there is not always a bad thing. But uh, that's where I'll have to leave it today, Kelly. I always appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you, David. All right. Good discussion. As always, we delve into the, the details here. You can join me live on The David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon East on Sirius XM Patriot 125.